Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Uh, we're going to read the Bible now, uh, and the Bible reading is from Mark uh, chapter 10 today. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'd encourage you to have them open, although it'll be on the screen behind me as well. We're going to read from Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 52, and then Chris is going to come and preach for us. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Uh, Good to be with you. Thanks for having Kate and I to join you this morning. Um, I'm Chris, that goes along with with Kate that you saw here before. Um, it's good to be with you, not just worshipping God and getting to know each of you, uh, but to visit one of the churches that enables us to do uh, the work that we do. So thank, thanks for praying, um, thanks for giving, uh, thanks for sending and receiving students to the work on campus. Um, we can't do what we do without you guys, so it's great to be with you. We're going to be talking a bit about uh, what, who Jesus is and what he says to our ambitions together this morning in this part of, of Mark. So I'm going to pray for our time together. And we'll get into the Bible. Um, It'll help you if your Bible's open to the passage we just read. But let me pray. Uh, Our Father in heaven, be with us as we we look at this part of your son's life. Uh, Would you do what you delight to do? Would you show him to our eyes and to our minds and to our hearts that we might see him as our Lord and follow him with all of our hearts? Amen. Let me start by asking you, how ambitious are you? Because I am not getting up. There is no way I'm crawling out of bed. There is nothing that keeps my toes curled up under the warmth of my blanket, my head firmly planted on my pillow, than the thought of facing the blistering cold of the winter in Cooparoo. 
I don't want to drag my feet out of bed, sneak across my room to open the creakiest cupboard in the world with the most light-sleeping wife in the world, to slap, uh, to slap on my blue runners and creak open that front door to be banged in the face with the blistering cold that waits for me outside. Uh, my sister-in-law, Josea, uh, she, she's someone that runs every day, and she'd say to me, bro, you just need a banging tune. You just need a song that can get your blood pumping, your ambitions rising. And so I went, and I, I bet you guys, I bet a bunch of you will know this person. So I went and, I went and looked up to one of the best philosophers, best theologians, I reckon, of our age, and got his best pumping motivational song. This would be fun. Put your hand up when you recognize the song that I'm playing in my ear pods, right? So I go, standing in the Hall of Fame as I crack open the front door. Yeah. And the world's going to know your name as I start to head down my stairs to the driveway. Yeah. Because you burn with the brightest flame. There's one, two, yeah. As I charge up my driveway. And the world's going to know your name as I start to run down Rialto Street losing my breath. Yeah. And you're going to be on the halls of fame. There's not many hands in the air. Okay. Uh, well, I was going to say, I reckon a bunch of you know this song. You're probably blushing in your seats there because this is the script. This is Will I Am in the script in 2012, their motivational rhyme encouraging their, their listeners towards ambition. Ambition. You can be the best. King Kong, bang on your chest. You are destined for greatness. Ambition, this drive for your success. That's what we're talking about today. How ambitious are you? As you sit in your seat today, how ambitious are you? This song by Will I Am in the script, it captures something of the sentiment of our world, doesn't it? Be the change you want to see. Dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. Ambition, it isn't just part of our world, it's celebrated, isn't it? Celebrated in our world. At uni, ambition is the norm. Students have to get used to uh, putting aside their life for years, ignoring their family, getting used to being in those 24-hour labs with each other, doing their assignments at 11.55 p.m. And the person, think about the person that speaks at their graduation. It's the person with the highest marks. It's normal amongst our peers, isn't it? You, you don't just stick with the first job you get. You don't just stay in the first house that you buy. You reno, you work hard. You want to rise to the top of the goals. Ambition, we want to live for something. It is normal. But as you jump into this part of today's passage, you see a bunch of people, I think they're in Will I Am school of worldviews. They think with a bit of opportunistic savvy work, they can take the world on. But like Will I Am, they might even think they're followers of Jesus. But Jesus is about to flip Will I, Will I Am's world upside down. He, is, he doesn't look at ambition the way that we do, that, that we might. Jesus' view of ambition this morning, it might seem like it's upside down to you. But I want to say, the big thing I want to say today is that Jesus is a better king than your ambitions ever can be. He is a better king than your ambitions ever can be because the, the key to seeing this, the key to seeing ambition like Jesus does, is seeing who Jesus is and what he does, who he is and what he does. And he shows us uh, ambition the right way up with engaging with two different worldviews in our passage today. He's going to engage with the disciples, the people who have been hanging out with him for years, and he's going to see it also through the eyes of a blind man, Bartimaeus. 
So we're going to look at those together. First, I want you to, to look at James and John. The first contenders are the disciples. They're part of Will I Am's school for the gifted, right? Have a look at your Bibles. Keep them open. Uh, they come up to Jesus and they've got this sort of request, but really, the language here, it's not so much of a request. It's more like they try and box Jesus in. They try and corner him and they try and strong arm him. They come to him with this upside down worldview of ambition. Have a look at verse 35. They come to him and they say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Do you hear the blank, the blank check there as they start to box him in? And he says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, so they say to him, grant to us that we may sit at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Do you hear what ambition says here? Jesus, we want to be like you. Like you in glory, but not just when we want to wait for glory, we want it right now. To disciples, ambition the right way up, it is to grab power while you can. The early bird gets the worm, YOLO, live life to the fullest. And it makes sense to us, right? That view makes sense to us a bit because we love stories of ambition. Do you know how, you know how Steve Jobs started Apple? Apparently it was in his garage. If you don't know that story, I bet you love the story of the little engine that could. Chuffs up the hill puts ambition at the top, and it gets to ride the good life all the way down. We love stories where ambition is followed at the cost of all else, and we see the person succeed. And Jesus calls this kind of ambition misguided. Notice how Jesus confronts the disciples. The disciples get angry with each other here, and Jesus' response to them, it is like he's responding to a little child. It is like he knows something that they don't know. Their ambition for glory has blinded them to reality. I've got a niece, uh, Zoe, she's three. Uh, we often visit my parents' farm together at the same time. We, we go kind of walking around exploring the sheds and what's that, Zoe? And she, she loves to go and explore, uh, explore runs with Kate and I, but it's so important to her that when we do, she under, that I understand she can do anything I can do. She's got to let me know that. So we're visiting the sheds. I'll do my best, my best Zoe here. Forgive me. She goes, she's seen the tractor. She goes, Unc Chris, I want to drive the tractors. And I say, Zoe, do you know how? Yes. You really think you can reach those pedals, though? Yes. She doesn't know what pedals are. <laughs> it is with full confidence. She says, Unc Chris, yes, I can. Yes, yes, yes. She wants the glory. She wants the glory. Her ambition for glory has blinded her to reality. There is no way she can press those pedals. And Jesus says to the disciples here, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And like Zoe, they immediately jump without thinking. They go, yep, we can. And so it's like they're, like they're treating Jesus like he is the stepping stone to their goals. And I wonder if you've ever done that. Have you ever treated Jesus like he's some kind of cosmic genie? Like he is the piñata of the good life? If you whack him enough with, with your good life or your prayers, lead the right kind of life. I'm a good person. I just expect that God will bless my life. Have you ever treated Jesus like that? Because like with the disciples there, they think this way, and Jesus confronts that kind of thinking. It's in verse 30, uh, 42 and 43. He's got self-centered ambition is anti-Jesus' ambition. It is not the ambition that his followers have. 
Jesus wants his followers to have ambition like he does. It's a gospel-focused ambition. You see, Jesus' ambition, he fleshes it out for us in a moment, he doesn't gain power to lord it over others. Jesus-centered ambition is ambition about the gospel. He takes power, he uses his power, but not to lord it over others, it is to set captives free. And he's going to show the disciples this from the Old Testament in a moment. I, I think it's great when moments like this in the Bible rock up because it shows us, it shows you how the Bible works, how it fits together. Jesus' gospel ambition, it is centered on who he is and what he does. And both come from the Old Testament. Uh, first, we're going to look at this, who, who he is. Ha, start by having a closer look at verse 45. Uh, check down to your Bibles. Jesus says, All my followers serve because even the Son of Man comes to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus here, he adopts this deliberate title, the Son of Man, for himself. He does this in a bunch of spots in the Gospels. And here he brings it up because it shows us his gospel ambition. It shows you what his gospel ambition is. Now, come with me to Daniel 7. Oh, I've forgotten my clicker, guys. Can, oh, here it is. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> um, is there a slide up here? No, not yet. Here we go. Daniel 7. It's up on the screen if you haven't got it. So Daniel, in, Israel's in exile, and, and Daniel has this vision of heaven. There's the Ancient of Days there. It's God seated in glory. And if you look from his throne, can you read that all right? That's big enough for you. There's fire flowing from the throne. Everything, everything surrounding the throne is worshipping God and no one can approach the throne. And just as God, the Ancient of Days, opens the books, this moment of judgment in verse 10, here comes someone. It's someone riding on the clouds. Now, I don't usually do this, but you can open ChatGPT if you want and search up what the cloud rider is like in the Bible. But it's this image in the Old Testament, ancient Near Eastern literature, of a divine one. God rides the clouds, right? No one can approach the Ancient of Days except the Son of Man. And this Son of Man isn't just approaching him. He is led into his presence, the presence that no one else can go to. And when he goes there, he is given all authority, all power, and sovereign glory. And get this, he is worshipped for eternity. He is the one that looks like a man, but gets the things that belong to God. And so when Jesus, when he grabs this title, he says, I am the divine human. I am the one with all authority, all glory, all sovereign power, and I'm to be worshipped forever. I am God in the flesh. And if anyone, think about this for a second, if anyone is to be worshipped and to come to be served, it's this guy, isn't it? The king of all reality. And yet Jesus says, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom, literally the price of release for many. Friends, this is Jesus' gospel ambition. It is driven from who he is. And it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Someone so great, serving. Until you look at where Jesus' words come from, because he's not just the son of man. He takes another title from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 53. He is the suffering servant. Uh, I'd love you to read the whole chapter later, but we're just going to look at a couple of verses together from Isaiah 53. He's, he takes this title and he says, I'm the righteous one. It's my servant. He shall declare many righteous, and he is the one who will bear their iniquities. His life will be poured out on their account. 
Uh, he'll be counted among the transgressors as he bears the sins of many. So Jesus, he doesn't quote this, uh, this, um, this verse, but he applies it to himself. He takes it and says, this is me. Can you start to see how who Jesus is forms his gospel ambition? Who Jesus is gives you his gospel ambition. And it is the ambition that he says, all of my followers have this. This is who Jesus is. Now I want you to see what Jesus does. Get off that slide. Uh, Jesus says, I am the one who comes to drink the cup. Now this is a cup from the Old Testament, this this cup that's full of the the wine of God's wrath against sin. Um, There's three passages that are going up on the screen in a minute. I'm just going to talk through them one by one, but they're up there for your convenience. It's a cup from Psalm 75 that is foaming. It is bubbling up full of God's wrath against sin. It is judgment against the things that humanity has done against him in rebellion, and it must be drug. It is the cup in Jeremiah 25 that in God's anger he forces all the rebellious nations to drink and as they drink it they are destroyed in God's anger. It is the cup of shame and sorrow and judgment in Ezekiel 23. It is huge, it is wide and it is deep and it is the cup that is full of God's anger and fury. His fury against sin and for God to be just this cup must be drunk and it must be drunk by those who are guilty now there is a relationship between an offender and the person who is offended right if ben punches ross if ben punches ross i can't jump in the middle and go uh hey ben you're forgiven right because i wasn't wronged ross was but i also can't run to ross and go ross how about you plant one right here mate and we'll be square because Uh, I'm not the guilty one. Ben's the guilty one. There he is, Ben. (laughs) It's the cup, Jesus says, it's the cup that the Son of Man alone can drink because he is both fully man, the guilty party, and he is fully God, the one who is offended, but also the judge. Do you see how who Jesus is enables what he does? Who he is informs his gospel ambition. This cup of God's fury, it must be drunk. And the problem is, the one who drinks it is destroyed in God's anger. And Jesus says, I am the one who has come to drink the cup. That's his gospel ambition. He's not a cosmic genie. He's more like your older brother, who jumps in front of the bus of God's judgment for you. Gospel ambition sounds upside down, doesn't it? But as you meet who Jesus is, his ambition turns us the right way up. And Mark is about to show you that. And he's going to show you that through the eyes of a blind man, Bartimaeus. That's the second guy in the passage that we look at today because when Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is passing through town, he doesn't attempt to corner Jesus and box him in. He doesn't come with some plan or a scheme for glory for himself. Blind Bartimaeus, he sees better than anyone else in this story because he knows my only hope of seeing is seeing Jesus. And so when he hears he's coming through town, he starts yelling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people rightly, they pull him aside and go, Bartimaeus, shut up. You are making a scene. But it makes him go even harder. Son of David, have mercy on me. 
You see, the disciples, they want glory. They want to be seen. And Bartimaeus, he just wants to see. He is even willing to shame himself to get close to Jesus. And it's like Jesus hears Bartimaeus and he stops and he goes, this is why I've come. He calls him over and he stops. And this is where you get your industry super fun moment, right? Does anyone know industry super fun where it's compare the pair? <laughs> no one on campus knew this. Uh, same, you know, same people, same income, same contribution. One goes up, one goes down. Look at verse 51 and 36. What do you see? If you've got your Bible open, what do you see? Because you should see Jesus asks these people the same question. He asks the disciples and Bartimaeus the same question. What do you want me to do for you? And the disciples want to be seen. And Bartimaeus, he just wants to see. Instead of encountering this self-serving ambition of the disciples, who can sit on your right and left? We, wanted, we all wanted that. Jesus encounters Bartimaeus' faith. Verse 51 and 52, he says, Teacher, I want to see. And Jesus says, Your faith has healed you. And immediately, immediately, as soon as Bartimaeus can see, he sees following Jesus comes first. Bartimaeus shows you what gospel ambition looks like because he follows, as soon as he sees, he sees trusting Jesus, following him is the first thing he should do. He puts following Jesus first. He puts serving Jesus first. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I can be a bit afraid to do that. Like if I follow Jesus a bit too hard, my life could get a bit uncomfortable. It could start to help the rails. Who knows where he's going to take me? It, my financial goals might not be met. I might live an uncomfortable life. I may not live where I want to live. I mean, do you ever feel that fear? Don Carson, he's a Christian writer in a, in a book called Basics for Believers. He captures this so helpfully. The problem that's in my heart, and I suspect is in many of yours as well. Let me show you this quote. He says, I would like to buy just $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel I really learn to hate covetousness when lust. I certainly don't want much, so much that I start to love my enemies and cherish self-denial and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself, I don't want to love those from different races or circumstances. I would like just enough gospel to make my life secure, my goals achieved, but I don't want to so much that I find my ambitions redirected. That is not Bartimaeus' response, is it? And that should not be your response either. Because Bartimaeus, he sees his need for Jesus and he runs to him. He runs to him, and once he sees, he sees Jesus, and he follows him with all he's got. Jesus gives him these new eyes, and he goes, I'm going to work out the rest later. Following Jesus comes first. He gets this reoriented ambition. He puts following Jesus as number one. I think there's a few ways this trickles into us. I think it starts with our convictions. Do I actually believe Jesus is who he said he is? That he did what he said he came to do? That he's my saviour and he's my Lord? He's not just one of those. He is both. 
it then flows to my feelings because if, if Jesus is this son of man, this ruling one that comes to drink the cup that I have filled up with the wine of God's wrath, this cup that would see me face the full fury of God against my sin. How do I feel when someone drinks that for me? Well, I'm overcome with joy, aren't I? I am grateful for this save beyond magnitude. He's my Lord. It then strikes my wills and my actions. Because if I'm, if I'm grateful for a save of this magnitude, it becomes priority number one, doesn't it? Really quickly, really easily, and I work everything else around it. Imagine Jesus rocks up to me and he says, I'd love to have a conversation about your life, Chris. Can we go out to lunch? And I say, no thanks. I've got something else I'd rather do. Oh, that, going to lunch with you would probably cost my goals a bit too much, so I'm, I'm not going to do that. Actually, Jesus, I just don't want to. I've got a planned nap on the couch this afternoon. Can you see how upside down that is? Can you see how upside down my ambitions are at that moment? Serving my Lord, it is not an obligation or reluctant burden anymore. It is a joyful response. This guy saved me. Of course I'm going to sit with him. It puts my other joys in the shade, doesn't it? My other priorities of, of being rich, of being comfortable, of being popular or recognized, it puts all of them in the shade. Because where, where I see who Jesus is, and what he's done, I start to desire Jesus' glory, not mine, because he is the truly great one, not me. When I'm saved by a guy like this, I start to want him to be known, not me. I had a conversation on campus recently with a student. He sat across this table, this wooden table with me a couple of weeks ago, reading through Corinthians, and um, he told me about uh, an opportunity the uni had given him They'd sent him this email uh, from the uni to lead the cohort for his career. And he goes, this would be really great for my degree, Chris. It would be good for my, my career. And I've decided not to do it. And I said, mate, tell me about that. Why have you decided not to do it? And he said, well, I know being a Christian on campus, it is going to cost me. I know that I can't do everything. And I've got this friend in my course that I want to read the Bible with. He's not a Christian. I reckon he'll say yes. And so I've decided to say no. This student had a gospel ambition because he wants Jesus to be known. He wants this guy to see Jesus and not for him to be known. I hope you are ambitious. I really do. I hope you are ambitious, but not like the script. Not like Will I Am. I hope you're ambitious like this student, like Bartimaeus, because I want to ask you, what would gospel ambition look like in your life? What would it look like for you to put Jesus as number one? Because ambition here is not the problem. It is who your ambition is centered around. Is your ambition centered on Jesus or is it centered on you? There's a, a few pitfalls that you can make here with what Jesus has got on offer. It could be number one, the first pitfall could be you've got no ambition. Nothing is driving you in life. Uh, you're living for nothing, you don't care about what Jesus has done and you live aimlessly in light of this great gift, right? Ambition's not evil. It is good to live for something, but is Jesus at the center of your ambitions? Do you desire Jesus' glory or your own? The second one I cringe at saying, but the second one is will I ambition? It's never uh, this idea that I could put myself in the halls of fame, but the problem with this one is it's never ending. There is always another hall of fame that I could be landing myself in. It is a terrible king. 
is a terrible king because ambition never delights in you. It never calls you over to see it. It just says, keep going. Keep going for greatness more and more. I even think you can have a sneaky gospel version of this, a me-focused ambition in the gospel, because you might, you might see this when you get upset with God. What do you get upset with him about? When he doesn't give you the things that you want? I just did this great thing at my church and no one noticed. It's right to be encouraged, and, but not to serve for praise. You might see it in the things that you pray for. Do you just pray for the things that would make your life comfortable, the things that you want, or do you pray for things that will cost your life? This won't be good for your goals, but it'll be good for the gospel. And so timidly, do you pray those kind of prayers? Does your ambition serve Jesus, or do you expect your, Jesus to serve your ambitions? That's the second one. Because Jesus makes a better king than your ambitions ever can be. He wants you to have a gospel-focused ambition. He wants your life to be like Bartimaeus's. Trusting Jesus has shaped everything else. Everything else that comes after that. Because for Bartimaeus, you don't hear anything else about his life. This is it for him. And I think it's because uh, what happens next doesn't really matter. He's followed Jesus and he works the rest of it out after because he gets... This, this, this is the last thing I want to say, right? He gets this thing that I want to leave you with. He gets that the Son of Man has not come to be served, but he has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for us. Let me pray that we'd have gospel ambition in light of this. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the way that you have enabled us to see Jesus. And though our eyes and our hearts are weak, you cling on to us. You give us eyes like Bartimaeus that we might timidly uh, run to Jesus and put following him first. Lord, help me, help us when we are weak, when we want to put our own ambitions first. But would you, by your Spirit, shape our ambitions to be gospel ambitions, that we would seek to, to serve the one who has served us, to make his glory known and not ours. We pray that you would help us to do this bit by bit together in your strength. Amen.